beautiful truth. Um, it is your breath in our lungs. If we're giving you praise, that's the only way it can be true. Um, as you formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed life into him. As you were in the upper room with your disciples and you breathed your spirit into them. As you saved us from being stone cold dead and gave us hearts of flesh, you breathe the very Spirit's life back into our marred image. And someday all of creation will declare your praise perfectly when you come to restore all things. Until then, Lord, I thank you that you have left us a remnant of redeemed people here to proclaim your promises to a world that needs to see the light of your grace. Lord, continue to meet with us as you already have as we continue to worship you in the word for your glory alone and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were both and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with, with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Thank you, sweet sister. You may be seated. Grab your Bibles. Open up to Ephesians chapter 2. You should have already read it today if you've done your um, pre-work. I won't call it homework, but... Um, and done the daily readings. It was today's reading was he or was Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians is in your New Testament towards the middle. Um, it's in what we all the Ians. You go past like First and Second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians. If you get to the T's, you've gone too far. But as you're finding your place to Ephesians chapter two, I'm just um, gonna sort of set the table a little bit. I don't know if you know it or not, but the church is a mess. Right? And I'm not just talking about our church, although we are, we are a glorious mess as well, but the church is a mess. Like, like there, is, there, there is so much being done in the name of Christ that is not of Christ. It is scary. Right? In, in our nation, we, are, we, have, we have not only um, in our own country, but we have outsourced a prosperity gospel that proclaims that if you just would come to faith in Christ, your life would be better. And that has gone all over the globe, and it just isn't true. You come to faith in Christ because your eternity will be secured. Right? And that's what we're really here for. It's not just that, though. There's a whole other level of people out there that, would be, that preach, you know, just come as you are, stay as you are. Easy believism. But then there's also other people that profess faith in Christ that would say, yeah, you need to come to faith, you need to accept Christ as your Savior and do this and this and this. And those people would be works-based religions, and they would be people like, like Roman Catholicism, like Mormonism, like Jehovah Witnesses, anything that is Jesus plus, right? Here's the thing, though, guys. We can look around, especially as Americans, especially with what's going on in our nation over the last few months and years. This was prior to COVID, prior to the recent political drama and all the racial stuff and everything else, although that has certainly added to our angst as a people of God. And we can wring our hands and say, one, the gospel is losing. It's not true. Or two, somehow this is all new stuff, like the mess is all new, and God is still trying to work overtime to figure it out. The reality is the church has always been a mess. Like literally always, if you don't believe that, if you have this romantic idea of if we could just get back to what the Bible says about the early church, guys, if you, you haven't read your Bible, 
Because 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church in a mess, and it was written about 20 years after Christ died. It took 20 years for the church to get messy, right? And it has been that way ever since. We've always been in this tension over, generally over things like grace and truth or word-centered, spirit or word-centered, works or grace. Like these things have all sort of worked themselves out throughout for hundreds and hundreds of years of church history. Right? And so part of why we decided to do this Summer in the Solas series that we're, that we're calling it isn't because it's a nice summer vacation place, because it's not. It's to help us, we, as people who want to be trained to teach God's truth through cro- at Cross Train Church, what we want to be is we want to be a people that are anchored to what, what are like the fundamentals of what we need to believe. So a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned like, like us as Reformed believers— Now, I want to be sure that you understand what I mean by Reformed. I'm not talking in that context about the doctrines of grace, what some might call Calvinism. If you want to sit down and talk about that at at a coffee shop with me, email me. I would love to sit and talk to you about the Word of God. That's not what Reformed in this case means. The Reformed is not referring to the doctrines of grace. It's referring to the Reformers. They were men like Charles Fingley. They were men like Martin Luther. They were men like John Calvin, who were trying to reform the church at a time when it was massively broken all over the known world, all over the Christian world at the time, around 1500. What Martin Luther did was he said, he said, he started reading his Bible going, okay, where has the church wandered, the Catholic church wandered from the truth of Scripture? So last week we started out with this idea of how we, we kind of had to start at the beginning of part of the truth of Scripture is where it starts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We are image bearers of God. And we're going to finish with the last words Jesus says to us is go and make disciples, the mission of God. But in between, we're going to spend some time looking at these things, the five solos, like the five fundamental things that we need to know. And they come from that reformed, the reformers period of time. Solo gratia, solo fide, solo Christus, sola um, scriptura, and then solo de gloria. It's, for, it's, it's basically, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. I'll say it again. Because I, I, I want, guys, we, we got to get this. Like this is, we've got to understand that it is by grace alone, through, our, through faith alone, that's what we'll be talking about in a couple of weeks, in Christ alone, by the scripture alone, or according to the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Though, that is what the church exists to promote. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Now, now some of you, you're going to be frustrated because there's so much rich, beautiful truth in Ephesians chapter 2 that I'm not even going to touch on today. We have taught through Ephesians. I've taught this passage in Ephesians multiple times because it is such a rich passage for applicable for so many things. Today, I'm not going to talk to you so much about what grace is as much as about what grace does. Because today's Sola is solo gratia, by grace alone. So it's not what grace is. That wasn't, Luther wasn't trying to make a point for here's what grace is. He was trying to make a point of here's what grace does. And if we believe this is what grace does, then we don't need to worry about all that other extra stuff that was going on in the church. What was happening, how, how the church had wandered. So our attention today is how much work does grace do, Right? The tension, what, what was happening in Luther's time was the church had elevated what they called sacraments. They had seven of them. What we practice some of them, things like communion, baptism, those are what they would call sacraments. What they had done, though, was they had elevated those to the level of the cross. They have said, it is not just be- be- confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. It is believe in the cross of Christ and the finished work of the cross and be baptized, and take communion, and go to confession, and, and they listed all these other burdens. That they, it got so bad that they had these things they called indulgences. Anybody know what an indulgence is? It's not, it's not really good ice cream, right? <laughs> Although that can be good if you like ice cream, like my wife. Um, I'm, I, I'm not a big ice cream fan. I'm a chips and salsa dude. She's an ice cream person. It's, it works. But Indulgences were basically what they were doing is they would go and they would 
you could be absolved of sin or even have dead people absolved of sin if you would pay the church a certain amount of money. And they even had a fee schedule for it. Right now, now I know as, as New Testament, now you might guys, here's the thing. We're, as New Testament, as well, they were supposedly New Testament believers too, as Bible believing Christians, we step back and go, that's just ridiculous. Here's the thing though, guys, and this is what I really want to drive home tonight or today. We have our own sense of indulgences as individually. Guys, anytime we place a burden on anyone else to come to faith in Christ, guys. I'll just say it this way. Even if, if you get frustrated, which I do, with people for everything, for something as trivial, trivial as, as aggressive driving or their political view or, or whatever their, your thing is, guys, at some level, you are placing an indulgence. Upon, you're projecting that upon them. You're saying, you know what you need to do is you need to stop. You need, to, you need, to, you need Jesus, man. And... You need to stop driving like that. Or, and you need to start voting like this. Or, guys, and it's happening all over the church. I'm use, I use politics a lot, not because I don't, I, I do think we should be involved in politics, but because it's so, politics, the, the, the racial divide, all that stuff is so in our faces right now. It's easy for us to all feel it together, like to feel what the examples together. Because there are Christians out there that say things like, you cannot be a believer and vote Democrat. There are big, big name pastors. Now, during the election season, we held up, we, we printed and, submit, and said, hey, here are the, and, and this isn't even in the notes and it's not what this topic is about, but it, it conveys the point well and how we project indulgences on people. Because we, we stood up and said, there is right now in our nation only one political party that, that has a political platform that matches scripture. That's just the reality of what's going on right now. You just look at what they've printed, right? But to, that's one thing. To carry it to a level of you can't be saved if you're a Democrat is no different than saying you can't be saved if you're not baptized. And we would never believe that. But we do that to each other all the time. So the question today that we're going to look at in this passage is we're going to look at what grace is quickly, and then we're going to spend most of our time looking at what grace does, because I think we have sold grace short in our own lives and in the life of like the, commu- the collective community in which we live. But I, I'm, I'm sure we've sold grace short, because I don't know that it's even possible for us to fully appreciate all that grace is. But today's question is, what is God's grace and what does it do? And this passage we're going to go through relatively quickly for the depth and the meat of the passage is we're going to look at how grace reconciles a lost people to the family of God. Grace reconciles a lost people into the family of God. And, and, and we're going to see like the full flourishing of God's grace upon God's people in this passage. Because to, to sort of set the table, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians, like I said, I taught on it years ago. I look forward to the day that God has us teach through it again. Ephesians, just in the first two chapters, Paul basically takes the argument, he takes 11 chapters of the book of Romans to make. And he condenses almost exactly the same line of thinking. He follows 11 chapters in Romans. He condenses down into two distilled chapters in the first two chapters, first two and a half chapters of Ephesians. So there's a lot of meat here that is really important about our salvation. And, and it does a great job, Paul does a great job of, of pointing out that salvation comes through God by grace alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. And so let's look at how grace reconciles. That's our first point. So in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I'm going to stop right there. What does that mean, dead? Dead means dead. Right? What did Adam do to have God breathe life into him in the garden? We saw it last week? Last week. What did he do? Not a thing. He did nothing. He didn't partner with God. God made him and breathed life into him. Right? That's what dead means. Now, what happened in the garden, and we saw this in Genesis chapter 3, is it's more, more than just sin entering the world. The spirit left Adam and Eve. And that was the part of them that died. It was, they, they were spiritually dead from that point on. Christ then comes, and because he died our death on a cross, he has the, now has the ability to breathe new life 
into us. And that's what we saw last week in John 20, when he breathes life into his, when he starts to breathe the spirit back into his um, disciples. Now look what it says, in trespasses and sins. Why, why doesn't Paul just say, you are dead in your sins? Why does he use two things? Does he just want to hit us doubly hard? Here's the answer. They're, they're describing two different things. One is, is, an, is a passive thing. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Guys, we're all part of the broken maredness of, this, of creation. That's the, that, that's the, we are, sin is just missing the mark of God's holiness. So we have all sinned. We are, we are dead in our sins, meaning the reality is we were just born into it. But lest we think for a minute, oh, thanks, Mom. Thanks for that gift of sin. He wants to make the point, you were dead in your trespasses. That's an active thing. That means we, just weren't, we didn't just inherit sin. We actively engage in it. Like we enjoy it in our fallenness. So he's saying you were dead in your, and they're plural, which means like there are lots of them and they're ongoing. He doesn't say you were dead in your trespass and your sin. Your trespasses and sins, plural. He's saying they were, they're both there, but, but let's keep going. It says, in which, in, and then it says, in which you were once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is where Paul starts in Romans chapter 1. It's what was already prayed about. Brian started, or Brian, when the, when the sound stuff went out, he, he came up here and he said, we are going to denounce the works of Satan. And I absolutely believe that if there's one place in the church Satan works, it's in the sound system. Like, it's just crazy. how. The, and it's not just our church. It's every church I ever visit. Right? It's just sort of the way it is because he doesn't want his word proclaimed. But it's also what we see if you just flip a couple of pages over to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, this was referenced during our prayer time in Ephesians chapter 6 at the end of this letter. I'm just going to read verse 12. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh. So Paul is expanding on what he's alluding to in chapter 2. He says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So now back to chapter 2. He's saying, guys, this spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience is what has caused the corruption of the world. Guys, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, even if the good news of God's saving work in Christ is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, who in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the gospel of the glory of Christ. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, like, quite literally, if you're sitting here right now and you don't know what the grace of God is, or you have family members, or friends, or school classmates, or work fellow workers, that don't, they are actively being blinded by the prince of the power of the air, by Satan and his minions. That's what this is saying. They, it is, they have blinders on that only, gra only the grace of God can take the scales off of those eyes. So let's keep going. It says, among whom you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Guys, I, I, I need you to understand this. You're gonna, and, and, and there's so much here. I've tweaked the way I'm doing the In the Word Todays now. They're way more instructive, including like the review questions at the end of each day for you to look at. So if you're not getting our daily devotional that we send out, go to our website, sign up for it. I'm tell, because there's a ton of teaching you're not going to get today that will, be, that will come out during the week. For example, he talks about in Romans 1, he talks about this very thing. But guys, where, where, I need, where we need to go with verses 1 through 3 and where Paul goes for the whole first part of chapter 1 of Romans is not when you read something like this, like the, that you were the passions of the flesh carrying out the desires of the body, do you think of other people? Do you think of those people who act a certain way or vote a certain way or behave a certain way or, or, or drive a certain way? Or do you realize that he's talking to you? He's talking to me. He's talking to himself. He said, I was chief among sinners. Guys, that isn't, he's not just like, like self-debasing. He's not debasing himself to make us think he's be like feel better. He genuinely means, I, apart from the grace of God, am that person. But guys, that's why we have to start here. We, to, part of where the church has gone wrong is we want to skip, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Because secretly, we don't want to address that in our own lives. 
And then we just want to jump right to selling people on the good news of salvation. Because, man, that just sounds so much better. You know, God so loved the world. That sounds so much better. And Paul will get there in just a minute. But we've got to start with our need. If we don't get that we are broken apart from Christ, right, then why in the, why in the world would we even want Jesus? You don't need a Savior if there's no sin. So we have to start there. And that's where Paul starts. Now let's keep going. We, we've talked about these words a lot. I think John even mentioned them in his um, gospel moment last week. Two of the best words in the Bible. Chapter, or verse 4. But God. Amen. But God. Not but you. But you are smarter than everybody else. Not but, you know, you finally figured it out. Not but you anything. But God. But God. He is the difference maker. Being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, with, with, with which he loved us, even when you were dead in trespasses and sins, made you alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. So guys, what is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. Like mercy, here's the thing, and how does it relate to solo gratia? We have turned grace into mercy. Because we've made grace all about our salvation. Hey, I prayed a prayer, I raised my hand, I'm in. Right? As long as I'm in, as long as I have that, like, that ticket stamped so I'm like hell-proofed, so I don't have to, I'm not going to go to hell. That, that, if that's all grace does for you, that, that's just mercy. By the mercy of God, by, by withholding the judgment we deserve by placing it on his son, he says he made us alive together with him. Because even when you were dead in your trespasses, God is always first. He's saying, while you were dead, God, and look at what God's done for us. God has made us alive. He's, he has breathed life back into us, just like he did to Adam in the garden. Now that life is still, mar- that, that spiritual perfection is still marred by our physical fallenness. Someday those two things are going to slam together perfectly, and we will be fully alive We've talked about that in the first Peter series. We are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. It's sort of that progressive sanctification that God is working on our lives. But guys, understand that, that, our, that, that our motivation for sharing grace is the same motivation as God's motivation. Why did God choose to grace us? To glorify himself. But right here, what does it say? I mean, he talks about that a lot in other places. In order to glorify himself and make, make the riches of his mercy known, right? He's, he's talking about that, but, but why? He says this. He says, where is it? Because of his great love with which he loved us. The word love there is the word agape. And I'm not going to spend time breaking it all down, but that is, the, that is, that is what the, the writers of the Septuagint, which was the Greek version of the Hebrew Old Testament, that was, that was the Bible in Jesus' day refers to the word hesed, the Hebrew word hesed. It means loyal love. You know what word it uses in Greek for that? Agape. So he's saying the loyal love of God is what has brought you to life. And here's, here's the interesting thing about when it says he's made us alive. It's in the perfect tense. That means, it was, that means God did it. He planned it in eternity past, and there's nothing we can do to undo it. So there's no way to, once you're made alive, you can't be made unalive. And it's in the passive voice, which means we didn't do it, God did it. He's saying, he's saying that you have been made alive. But that's not all he did for us. He, in verse 6, raised us up. That is referring to our resurrection. Paul, like, Paul is already speaking almost like future tense. He's saying, he because he's talking, he's using present tense verse, verbs, he's talking about something that is to come. Why? Because in the light of Christ, in the light of God, the day that you came to, the day that he chose you before the foundation of the world, the day that you came to a knowledge of saving faith in Christ, and the day that your resurrected body is made perfect, is all one day to God. He's outside of time. So, so but, but his word is being spoken to a bunch of linear, we were born, we live, we die. Like, we think we're linear people. He's saying, you have been made alive. You've been raised up. Like, to God, you're already resurrected. I don't get how that works, but it's okay. 
Then he says, but not only that, and you have spent, and he has seated us with him in heavenly places. Again, he's saying, you have been transferred from this worldly kingdom that I was talking about in the first few verses. That's what Paul's saying. You've been transferred to the kingdom of God. You've been seated at a place, at the table, in the kingdom already, even as we sit here in this rather warm building trying to stay awake. It's, it's, it's a, a crazy mystery, but it's the way grace works. Guys, understand this. Love is God's main motivation. We, we, have to, we, have to get, we have to get past this idea of not wanting to sell sin and brokenness and, and starting there, all that stuff I was talking about a minute ago, because it just doesn't sound very friendly it is the gospel, right? And, and guys, this is the part I don't understand about, about, Christian, about why we shy away from this in Christianity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. For God so agape loved the world, loyal loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever would believe in him would never perish, but have eternal life. What's the very next verse Right, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And yet, now, they say, wait, but wait a second, but there is judgment coming. Yes, there is. Where was that judgment applied? To God. Like, we don't need to hide from the fact that, hey, if, if, you, don't know, if you don't have faith in Christ, you, you are going to be judged by God. We don't, have to hide, we don't have to hide that part of God, like, yeah, but he just seems so judgmental and it seems so hard. Except, except for this one minor, minor thing. He came here and took the punishment. Amen. Like there's no other religion in the world that, can, that, that says that. That is the great different grace, this kind of grace. Dead to life grace is the differentiator between Christianity and every other religion in the world. And, and frankly, a whole bunch of them profet, that profess faith in Christ and aren't really Christian. Man, we got to keep going. So it says, now, now get this. This is what I mean about we, we sell grace short. Look at verse 7. So that in the coming ages, so he has made us alive. He has raised us up. He has seated us. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us. He's, he's saying, guys, we have only, we're, we're getting like a sampler size. Even as beautiful as the first hour was. Everything from orchestrating Adam's reading to the calling passage to the time praying for Kim to, like, as beautiful as that was, those are just sampler platters of what is, to, what is it, like the feast, that the immeasurable riches of his grace. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Now here, I'm going to stop here for just a minute because we're going to get to faith in a couple of weeks. We're, we're doing something special next week for the um, fourth, fourth weekend. You'll hear more about that at the end of the service, but... We have sola gratia and sola fide, and the reason they're the first two of the five solas is because they really are like two sides of the same coin. But here's the question, and this, this, is ba this has been an argument in the church for a long time. Which one is a gift, grace or faith? Because he's saying, this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. Well, I'm, I'm going to leave my answer for the faith part till two weeks from now when we talk about sola fide. But in, in the context in which he's speaking... He's talking about salvation here. Grace is what saves us. I, here's the way I picture it. Faith is like the vehicle. Faith is like the fluid through which the antidote of grace comes to us. So if you had an IV, it's not the, it's not the saline solution, the salt water solution that's in the IV. That's, I mean, unless you're just dehydrated and they're trying to pump water into you. If, you're, if you have an IV and you're taking... Um, whatever stuff they were having you do, Kim, while you were in the hospital. They're using the liquid as a vehicle through which to administer the cure. I picture like faith is, like our faith is the vehicle through which the cure of God's grace comes to us. But I'm getting ahead of myself because that's in two weeks. So we'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. So let's keep going. Now, guys, this is where, this next part is where sola gratia really where the rubber meets the road for Luther. Because he was battling works-based religion, Jesus plus. Okay, I, yeah, I believe all that, I believe all that. And, and the church even taught a lot of that. Then they put a comma on the end of the sentence and said, comma, but do these things too. And look at, look at what the word says. This isn't Luther speaking, this is God. 
He's saying you've been saved by grace from faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of works. Your, your salvation is not a result of anything you've done so that you won't boast, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in him. Guys, grace, this is what, this is what when I was talking about, we sell grace short. We make grace all about the ticket into heaven. That's selling grace short. Grace saves us. It also empowers us. You are never a graduate of grace. You never received the grace of God and went, thanks, Lord, I can move on with my day. We need God's grace all the time. We need to extend God's grace all the time. And here's here's what this passage is saying. And it is his grace that even makes that possible. He's saying you are his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. You are now as close to perfection in creation as a spirit-filled believer in Christ as anything in all of the world. And then he says, and it is, and you were saved, and that happened. God made you that for good works, which, oh, by the way, he prepared beforehand. He did it. The best thing you're going to do all day today, whatever that is, like the nicest thing, the most gracious thing you're going to do today, God did that before you even did it. That's what this is saying. God did it before you even thought to do it. That's what grace does. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about that. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Use your faith to partner with grace to work out your salvation. It's in the middle voice. But then he doesn't, he doesn't stop there. He says, because it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Even in our efforts, if it's apart from grace, it means nothing. Look at your table talk question um, that's on the back of your bulletin. It says, if you try to do anything to receive God's grace, it is no, lo- it, it is no longer grace, is it? In other words, if, if, you, if you're sitting here today sweating in this little room, sitting in these uncomfortable plastic chairs, which Lord willing will come to an end very soon, right? But, but also, what a massive blessing, because we at least have a place to gather that isn't out there, Amen. Right? If, if, if you're sitting here today doing that because you think somehow God's, God is favoring you for it, like you're going to receive some kind of blessing on the back end. Now, does God reward those who earnestly seek him? Yeah, it's one of those great mysteries. Does he care about our behavior? Absolutely he does. At the same time, it's all about motivation. If you're doing it because you're trying to get a, an attaboy from God, that is the wrong motivation. All of our attaboys are filthy rags, is what, the, is what Isaiah tells us. It says, so how are you working for grace in ways that you may not even be aware of? And I would add this to it. How are you asking other people to work for grace too? In his book, The New Morning Mercies, his devotional, Paul Tripp, it was this week, just by chance, right? But this week he was talking about the scene where he goes into his kid's room and he starts just ripping them for having their room be a mess and not taking care of their stuff and everything else. And and his point is, one, not a great parenting strategy because your kid's not going, oh, thank you, Lord, for this wonderful parent, the blah, blah, blah. He goes to that. But he says, here's the bottom line. In that moment, and I've been guilty of many of those moments. Thank you for not saying amen, ladies. I've been guilty of many of those flesh-out parent moments. In that moment, here's, here's what I've forgotten. I need grace. The reason I behave that way, when I go, I would never be as lazy as you are. I've forgotten something. I've forgotten the first whole part of this chapter. or this ver- Yeah, this chapter. I am that person, apart from God's grace. Right? And that's part of what... So how are you projecting... Guys, I said it earlier, I'll say it again, and we'll move on to the next point. If you're easily angered by people, the people under your roof, people on the road, people on the news, I would venture to guess you have somehow diminished your own need for God's grace. The thing that will help you be humble and gentle, like Jesus, is remembering your own desperate need for the grace of God. And then you go, man, how can I not extend grace to those people, whoever those people are? Okay, let's keep going. So the question today is, what is God's grace and what is, how does it, what does it accomplish? It reconciles, grace reconciles a lost people. And that's our second point. 
Grace reconciles a lost people. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. That's what, that's what anybody that was not Hebrew. That was, he, the Jewish people were about a tenth of the population in the Roman Empire when this was written. So he's saying all of you that were in the other nine-tenths of the population were considered the uncircumcised. That was just a slang word for a Gentile. By what is called the circumcision, that's just, he's not actually talking about the act of circumcision. He's just using those as, those are labels, Jewish, not Jewish, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that, that you were at a time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Guys, that isn't them. That isn't those people. That isn't the unbeliever you're sitting next to. That isn't the unbelieving family member you have. That is, he's describing you. He's describing me. All of us were separate from God. We were separated from God. It, 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 remi- it beckons... Well, I'm going to keep going. It beckons back to that picture that, by the way, G, G, when Jesus writes to seven, the seven churches in Revelation, the first two chapters are, are the chapter two and three of Revelation, when he writes to the church at Ephesus, he actually says, you've, you've done an amazing job standing on my truth. Here's what you've forgotten. You've lost your first love. You've lost grace. You've lost the fact that, that you were saved all those good things you were doing were, should be an overflow of your love for me because I loved you and graced you. So what, what was his solution in Revelation 2.5? So therefore, remember, rem, just, like, just like Paul, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. That's, he's saying, remember. Guys, remember that you were strangers. That you were, guys, Get this, and I don't have time to, to lay this out. Salvation was not coming to the Jews because they were Jewish. Salvation was coming to those Jews who believed in the promise. That's where their hope was. A Jew that didn't believe in the promise of the coming Messiah had no more hope than a Gentile. So what he's saying here is he's saying, guys, you didn't even, ha- you didn't even have the Bible that talked about the coming deliverance of Jesus. And he's saying, and that ultimately levels the playing field. It makes everyone the same at the foot of the cross. It goes back to my point I was belaboring in the first point of how do we see those people? Look at your table talk question, the second, the second one. How does grace help level the playing field in the area of race relationships? Hot button topic right now. I get it. Not going to address it right now just because I, I don't need to. Other than to say this, in Christ... There is one race. It is, the human, it is the human race. And you're going to hear next week specifically, because that is the message next week that, that's going to be shared, is that God's plan was to take people from every tribe and tongue and nation and make them one. From Genesis 12 to Revelation 20. It's just the way it is. And if you don't like diversity, you're going to hate heaven. But we have to understand that... that that ultimately our racial problems, and, and let's take race, let's, let's make politics a race. Let's make socioeconomic status a race. Let's make whatever your thing is, let's make homeschooling or public schooling a race of people, a class, a class of people. Whatever your thing is, if those people need to get their act together, you have forgotten the grace of God. And that is a problem I struggle with all the time because those people need to get right. Right? So let's keep going. But now, another one of those one of the wonderful things. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, there's just so much there. That I'm not going to take, but there's another but now because of Christ. He has reconciled us. Let's keep going. It says, for he himself is our peace. He is our reconciler. He is, remember, context is king. He's saying all that stuff I just wrote to you in verses 1 through 10, that made peace. God reconciles. That was our first point. He is the, the ministry of reconciliation through Christ. He is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So he's saying, he's basically saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring unity to mankind through Christ. So making peace. And we're going to get to why it doesn't feel that way even within the church when we get to our last point. 
that, that he might reconcile both to, us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off, those Gentiles that didn't have the word. And he came to, or, or Doug as an atheist in college who didn't believe in the word. He came to preach peace to you who were far off. And he came to preach peace to those who are near. For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. In a, in, a, in a book um, written by a lady named Rosario Butterfield, which was entitled, the, the Gospel Comes with a House Key, there's a quote in there. She's talking about how, how loving one another ought to, will lead people to Christ. He, she, he's just, she says this. By the way, if you don't know her story, amazing book, she was a lesbian most of her life until a Christian started just loving on her. She came to faith in Christ. She married a man. She's now... <laughs> Um, preaches for the Gospel Coalition, or like shares sto- like her story with the Gospel Coalition. I mean, it's an amazing story. But anyway, she says this: Jesus's death put to death, put death to de- death. Sorry, and in doing so, put to death the basis of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between the races, by providing access to God to both groups through the same single sacrifice. So he leveled the playing field. Not only are the two. Um, not only can the two live in peace now, but they are also are to live as one unity. Let's take this great truth to heart and seek oneness with our fellow Christians, whatever their race or background, that we might be one temple displaying God's holiness to all. Guys, you're going to hear more about this idea of unity in the body of Christ next week, but, but that brings us to our last point. So what does God's grace do and what does it accomplish? It reconciles a lost people to the family. And I think this is probably the least preached thing about grace. We, pre- we preach salvation. We might even preach it's also the power to do better, like to, to walk worthy. We rarely get to the part about how and grace saves us into the family of God. And I'm not just making this up. Look at verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Guys, here's the problem, especially as Americans, especially as Americans that live in the West as opposed to the South. We are so stinking independent. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me what to think. I don't need to be accountable. I don't need to be in relationship. I, I, and, we've, and we've projected that onto the gospel. And we've said, you know what? Our salvation is, is a... Com- Guys, the phrase, a personal decision for Christ, is not in the Bible. Did you know that? When we look at someone and we say, hey, have you made a personal decision for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That is nowhere in the Bible. Amen. Now, does that mean that somehow salvation is corporate? The answer is no. If you're sitting here, young person, and you're in a Christian home, praise the Lord. That you're not living in some of the heartache that others might be living in. Not that your life is perfect. I'm just saying, trust me. I've been there. If you're sitting here today and you're, and you're raised in a Christian home, you're not a Christian just because your parents are. Right? You do have to have your own eyes opened by God. You have to come to your own saving faith. But the concept of it all being personal is not biblical. Salvation has always been communal in its practice. Always. It's what we just read. He says, so then you are, by the way, all those yous there, you are no longer strangers. You are fellow citizens of the saints, members of a household. Those are all plurals. Even the word you, it's you all in the Greek, y'all. Y'all, if we were in Texas, it'd be y'all, y'all are. He's not saying, he's not saying, but we've turned it into, oh, man, that's, man, isn't that awesome? I mean, God, Jesus just loves me. It's all for me. He's made me. He's made, he has not made any single person in this room individually a member, a saint, or a member of a household. How, that's not even logical. How can he make an individual a member of a household? Right? The answer is because the church is a supernatural spiritual entity. Look at, look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4. I'm just going to pick it up in verse 11. He gave some as apostles and prophets 
evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I taught on that a few weeks ago. Again, this isn't, a, this isn't about what the church is. This message isn't. Other than, now some of you might read that and go, man, I'm glad I'm not any of those offices. I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not, I, I'm not here to teach on those things. I'm just here to say, don't, don't stop there and go, I'm out. Oh, no, you're not. Keep reading. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity, the oneness of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man into the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, now here's the the part that applies to us all, rather speaking the truth in love, we, plural, we, are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the Whole body, this, he's, he's, just, he's just expanding on what, he, just, what we just read in chapter 2. The whole body joined and held together by every joint, not just the quote-unquote important joints, every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, this is what grace does. We cannot stop with grace is all this, is, all that grace does is get me into heaven. You are saved from, your last table talk question, you are saved from judgment, that's part of grace, and into a family. That's grace. And we have, guys, like no other time in our history do we need to start preaching that to people. Because the last year or so not only has created massive division in politics and race and everything else, but it has also created massive isolation. And I know I'm preaching to a sweaty choir right now, I'm, but we all know people. Guys, we all know people who are sitting at home right now going, I am down with Jesus. I just am not into church. And I'm telling you, that is not the gospel. It just isn't. There is no place in Scripture for the disconnected Christian. No place. And I'm not going to stop saying that, not because I want them all to come here. As long as they're going to a church that's teaching the Word of God, get them there. But, but goodness, get them somewhere. Because until they are, they have not fully embraced the truth of the gospel. Guys, we have preached, and I'm going to finish up, ask the music team to come up with this. We have preached this, these partial gospels. I prayed a prayer. I raised a hand. I, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I confessed, I confessed with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what Paul told me I was supposed to do in Romans. That I am saved. Okay. Maybe you've even gone, okay, but I also see in scripture, I prayed a prayer, I confessed Jesus is Lord. And oh, by the way, um, I need to, um, as he says here in Ephesians, I need to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel by which I've been called. Okay, I get that. I get that grace is the power to, to, to make me even walk worthy. We talked about that. The, the, the other third of the thirds, of the two-thirds, or the, the whole part that, that gives us the fullness of the gospel messages, I prayed. I'm counting on God's grace to, to keep me moving, and I believe that he has planted me so that I can use my gifting to bring him glory. And, and if we are not there, if we're, if we're living, guys, it's, it's why the leadership of this church felt so strongly that it was time to invest. And there were lots of reasons that we invest in a, in a building. And we've shared all, all those and we'll continue to share them. But the biggest thing is because we believe there's something beautiful, beautiful about God's gathered people. Not just on Sundays, Bible studies, small groups. Guys, Acts chapter 2. And again, I, I don't want to step on next week's message. So, but Acts chapter 2. All the people were together. They were breaking bread. They were sharing communion together. They were fellowshipping. They were praying. They were reading the word. And you know what was happening? The people who were watching them were in awe. Why? Because the church is a supernatural entity. Because it's it's. It's why we need to be people of grace. Because the last third thing about being part of a family only works in a healthy way if we deal with the first third of I, was, I need grace and I need to extend grace. Guys, if we're, here's what I mean by that. And I really will finish up with this. 
if we're a church of only people of the same skin color, only people of the same economic status, only people of the same political affiliation, only the people of fill in the blank. You get where I'm going. Only a church of homeschoolers, only a church... When others, here's the, here's the massive, and this is what has happened in the church, guys. This is what's happened to our church. People have left here because they just didn't agree with this, or that we were too spirit this, or too word that, or too home this, or too public that, or too, too political here, or not political enough, or what. And we, here's where they go. They go to places that are full of people that fit what they want in that little area of their lives. There's massive problems with that, other than just the complete unhealthiness in light of what we just saw. It's anti-gospel. It's, it just is. Because we've, what, what we've done is the first third. We've said, okay, in order to really be a strong Christian, you need to profess faith, do all these blah, 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 and have the same political view I have, and have the same skin color I have, and whatever. And the minute we put an and on, that, on the end of that sentence, grace is no longer grace. And here's, the, and here's the most damning, and I mean this literally, the most damning part of that. We have diminished the beauty that is the body of Christ. Because if we're all the same, there's no opportunity for us to grow as we sharpen each other because we disagree with each other. Because I need a brother to speak words of truth into my life about how maybe we're getting a little off track in a certain area. I need that brother. I don't need that brother to leave. I need that brother to come to me. And go, man, I'm just sensing this in my spirit. Can we talk? Right? That's the be- and, and, here's, and here's when we lose that beauty, someone walks in that door and they look around and they go, yeah, I totally see why you guys are together and like each other. You're all exactly the same. I, I can go to my health club for that. I can go to my homeschool group for that. I can go to my Bible study at home for that. I can go wherever I want for that. Because that's, that's what groups do, right? That's not what the church is supposed to be. The church is not supposed to be a health club for people who all think the same way. A church is supposed to be a hospital full of people that go, I need to come in here and get healthy and help others get healthy. Yeah. And, and then when they walk in the room and they go, man, you, you don't all think the same way. In fact, in fact, I'm sitting here talking to you and you even disagreed with the same thing I disagreed with with what your pastor said. That's interesting to me. Let's go talk to him about that. That will put people in awe. Because hanging with people that you disagree with, that you're not like, is almost unheard of. You know why? I don't have my phone with me, but you know why? Because it's, and I'll, and I'll be honest, I've been guilty of saying these words. I wish there were a delete button on people. And I don't mean like to die. I mean like relationship. Or I, I wish that, I wish that it was just easy to unfriend somebody and just never have to see what they're saying anymore. That's the world we live in, right? But the one place in all the world that ought to be a place of grace, and grace only really works if we're not, if we're not all thinking exactly the same way, a place where grace is practiced is the church. Man, I don't agree with you. I would love to just mute you right now. But... I have something to learn. God wants me to learn something from you. That's why I'm here. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord.